This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. The theme of today's talk is transitions in life. I spoke at a church recently in Texas, and you'll hear my remarks on that topic. I had prepared a slideshow of the work that I've been involved in in Africa, but when I arrived at the church, sure enough, there was a technical problem and the overhead projector wasn't working. So on short notice, I found out that I wasn't able to present what I had prepared. So I prayed and I asked the Lord to lead me, give me words that would be an encouragement to the fellowship there. Most of what I spoke about was unprepared, and I want to encourage you that God will speak through you. He will give you words of wisdom, words of encouragement, words to counsel other people. Let's just keep our hearts open to his spirit and let him lead us and guide us. And as we share with others, then we also are encouraged ourselves. That's certainly been true for me. Before we get to that recording, I'd like to remind you that if you have anything you'd like to share with me, any thoughts, any topics you'd like me to address, feel free to send me an email at ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. I'd love to hear from you. And there's a couple of other things, actually, before we get to that recording of my talk at the church. It has come to my attention that at least one of my listeners will listen to me on her podcast player at 1.5 times the normal speed. (laughs) She drives to work early in the morning And I guess I talk a little bit too slowly. I haven't actually listened to myself at 1.5 times the speed, so I'm not quite sure how that sounds. But I thought, just for her, in case she's listening, that I would talk a little bit slower so that it sounds normal when she is listening to me on her way to work. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. I just had to do it. You know who you are. Another couple of things that I saw, I'll mention here. It's a sign that I saw. It's one of these things that gets posted on the internet. And I'll read it to you. Buddha was not a Buddhist. Jesus was not a Christian. Muhammad was not a Muslim. They were teachers who taught love. Love was their religion. And then there's a picture. A person has their thumbs up in front of that sign. Like, yes, I agree with that. And, you know, really, I can't think of anything that's much farther from the truth. Uh, Well, I mean, you can say Jesus wasn't a Christian. He was the Christ. (laughs) He was the anointed one, the Messiah. And I'll just remind you that it is from Jesus that we get our understanding of eternal punishment in hell. He spoke about that far more than Paul or Peter or James, anyone else. We get our understanding of eternal punishment and damnation. From Jesus himself. And as I've mentioned before, the word love does not occur in the book of Acts at all. And this is when the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was being spread around the world. I will say that love is one of God's characteristics. It's a part of his character. And all of what he does, his covenants, his judgments, his forgiveness and his mercy, it all comes from his loving character. 
And yet the way God defines love is very different from the way most people define love. Love was their religion. Nope. Buddha, Jesus, and Muhammad disagree on some very important points. And as a matter of fact, Jesus himself made a very exclusive claim. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus himself said, you won't come to the creator of the universe and enter into eternal life through Buddha or through Muhammad. Jesus himself is the door. He is the only door, the only path of salvation. That is a loving message, but some people will take it as judgment. All right, so that was one thing that I saw. And then another one I saw, I titled this picture, Faults. I grabbed this off the internet as well. It's a little blurb about a book. Let me see what it's called here. The Oddball. I won't mention anything else about it, but it seems to be a little blurb from a press company. It's a bookmark, and it's a synopsis of the book called The Oddball about a little boy, I think, who moves to a new town, and he wants to make a lot of friends, but then he realizes that he's different. He's an oddball. And I'll read here um, the synopsis. After trying to come up with a few new game plans to make friends, he becomes a school hero. He learns that to score in life, you have to stay true to yourself and just be you. That's the message of this book. This character, the oddball, learns that in order to succeed and to do well in life, you have to stay true to yourself and just be who you are. Of course, the question comes up, what does it mean to score in life or to succeed in life? What does success look like? And Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for me, then you'll find it. I guess we could sort of translate that. If you want to score in life, you need to die to yourself and stay true to Jesus. Stay true to God, not just stay true to yourself. And the last thing in this little blurb about the book is just be you. And that is not true. In order to walk in the ways of God, we have to repent and change, be different, and start on that path of becoming more and more like Jesus. That is a path of freedom and forgiveness, faith and trust and hope. It's all very, very good. And the way to succeed in life, according to God, is to know God and to love him and walk in his ways. Amen. Like I said, that's a path of freedom. There isn't condemnation there. The good news is that Jesus has paid that price for our sin and our failings. And he has made a way through the bringing of the new covenant for us to change and become better and better and better and ultimately until we are perfected in Christ. Amen. The word perfection doesn't really mean sinless. What it means is complete and not lacking anything. When something is perfect, it doesn't need anything else. And that's where God is bringing us. He's bringing us to perfection so that we're complete. And we're not lacking anything. There's no missing parts. Everything is functioning as it should. Amen. So let's be careful about reading these books or giving books to our children that teach that they just need to stay true to themselves and just be themselves because that's not actually going to lead to success, eternal success. Okay, well, enough of these preliminary remarks. So here now are my recent comments on 
transitions in life. Well, hello everyone. We're having a little technical trouble this morning. So imagine if you will, uh, just the most beautiful PowerPoint presentation you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> no, it's just some photos of the work I've been involved in. Okay, so <laughs> I have a series of notes here. The first notes are assuming I had things for you to look at. And the second set are things that I was praying about as we were in the worship time. The songs were wonderful. I'll say a couple of, uh, a couple of the lyrics here. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Step by step, you'll lead me. Amen. When I was a boy, I attended church, but I was not a follower of Jesus. So I imagine there may be people in this room or listening to me, wherever they might be listening to me, that you might call yourself a Christian, but you're not really following Jesus. And I can only say that because I was one of those people. If you'd asked me, are you a Christian? I would have said, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. I went to church. I go to church with my parents, and I've got a Bible in my room, even though I never read it. Are you a Christian? Yeah, sure. Uh, however, if you'd said, are you a follower of Jesus, then that's a different question. Yeah? And that would have made me think a little bit more. You've probably heard it said, many of you, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. We gather together not just for social interaction. We gather together because those of us who are following Jesus, we're actually the body of Christ. We have a unity of the Spirit. Originally, I was going to be talking about some of the ministry I'm involved in overseas, in Africa in particular, and I had written this thing, I'm going to weave two themes together, but now I think one of the themes is gone, gone with the electronics. So I have one theme, and that is trusting God. I may tell a few stories here, but the theme of this is trusting God, or another way to say that is having faith in God, true faith, a living faith. As I've been praying about what I would say, the word transitions kept coming into my mind. And I think there may be quite a few people here who are going through transitions, going through a transition, or you may anticipate that there's one up ahead. You may be in the thick of a very confusing transition, or you may think, oh, there's one coming up, and I'm not quite sure how it's going to all work out. For those of you who don't know, I have a podcast, and one of the uh, episode titles was A Biblical Perspective on Your Future, looking at the general guidelines that we see in the scriptures about how to go through transitions in life, because the older you get, the more you realize it's just one, it's a one transition after another. Constant change, constant change. And what the Lord wants us to do is to let go, just really surrender to him. Not let go so we'll feel better, but really trust him. And so much of the world and so much of our own nature is we want to get something set firm and then live in it. And yet life is just constant change and we're moving into new times in life. There's a scripture that says, 
If you walk in the light as he is in the light, then you have fellowship with one another. And this walking in the light is a really good way to think about what it is to be a follower of Jesus. He'll reveal something to us and we walk in it. And then he'll reveal something else and then we'll walk in that. And it's constant movement in what he's leading us in. And everybody in this room is going to be in a different spot in that process, but I encourage all of you, walk in what God's showing you. Be faithful in what he's showing you. And that is the way to get to the next thing. So in that sense, it's kind of like a transition that you're walking a path and the light shows you just enough for the next little bit and you walk in that and then a little more and a little more. Jesus doesn't just come up to us and say, okay, Mike, I want you to do this and when you're done, I'll meet you up there and then we can talk about what's next. That's not what it is to be a Christian because he promises, he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will not leave you like an orphan, which is fatherless. I'm going to be with you always, all the way through to the end of the age. That he promises not only to give us instruction and direction, but he also promises to be with us and in us and give us the ability, not only the desire to do his will, but the actual ability to do his will. He promises those two things. And for those of you who have studied the scriptures in the Old Testament, the new covenant is announced in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And God says there's a new covenant coming. And it's not like the old covenant. The old covenant, the Mosaic law, the law was written in stone. It was rules and regulations. And God says in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, that new covenant is not going to be like that because I'm going to write that law on your heart. And I'm going to take out that heart of stone and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh and I'm going to renew your spirit and I will put my spirit in you to move you to keep my commandments. You see how that's, that's completely unlike the old covenant or what a lot of people think religion is. If I just read the Bible and do what it says, then I'm, I'm good. But that new covenant is God giving us his spirit. He is in us. He is with his people by his spirit. And you remember when Jesus did communion, that first communion, the Lord's Supper. He said, he held up a cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And he said, this is it. Jeremiah, Ezekiel spoke about the coming new covenant. And now we're here. This is the blood of the new covenant. It's my blood and it's poured out for you. Such a mystery, right? He's holding a cup of wine and he's saying, this is my blood. It's like, wow, okay. Something's going on here that is beyond just the material. And I want to encourage you, when you take communion, you're actually taking the life of Christ inside. I think that's the mystery and the message of what communion is and what the new covenant is. It's outside, and then it goes inside and gives life. So one of these themes was trusting God. I want to go all the way back to Abram. Let me just read this. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Genesis 15. So in verse 2 of Genesis 15, Abram is crying out. He's praying to Jehovah. In many of our Bibles, it'll say Lord, capital, small capitals, L-O-R-D. But actually the, the word in the Hebrew is Yahweh or Jehovah. So he's calling out to God, Jehovah. 
And in verse 2, he says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children. So a servant in my household is going to be my heir. A servant in my household, he's not flesh of my flesh. He's going to inherit everything that I have. And then the word of Jehovah, the word of the Lord came to him. Well, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming out from your own body will be your heir. God says that. And Abram heard him. Don't know exactly how that was, but he is a living God and he speaks to his people. Then Jehovah took him outside and said to Abram, look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to Abram, this is how your offspring shall be. So shall your offspring be. Okay, can you count the stars? Can God count the stars? Yeah, it's a finite number, but we can't count them. Can you count all of the descendants of Abram? We can't. There's a finite number, I assume, but they're just like the stars. Who, who, who could count them? And that's what God is saying. You know, you're one person and you're going to have one son and that's going to become the people that really inherit the earth. They're going to inherit everything that I'm giving you. And ultimately in the New Testament, we see that is inheriting all of God's creation ultimately. Okay, what was the response? Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. This is long before the giving of the Mosaic Law, long before the time of Jesus. Abraham believes what God said. And God says, okay, that faith that you have, I'm going to give you credit for righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's pretty easy. The word right in there, right. Righteousness basically means just doing the right thing all the time living a completely flawless life, being right in word and deed. That's righteousness. That's what it is to be righteous. We see here a theme that is picked up by the Apostle Paul in a couple of his letters and also by James. When Abram believed God's promise, God said, your faith is as good to me as if you were sinless. Isn't that something? That's amazing. I'm going to give you credit. Now, God is completely just. And I was reading in Leviticus chapter 4 and 5, and I saw something that I didn't realize before. In Leviticus, God is setting up all of the offerings for sin or for Thanksgiving or fellowship offerings. But the sin offering comes, and constantly it is saying in Leviticus 4 and 5, you need to make an offering even if you didn't know that you committed a sin. Isn't that interesting? If it's unintentional and you didn't realize that you broke God's law, you're still guilty. Isn't that remarkable? Man, that shocks me because a human nature is like, well, I didn't know it was against the law. You can't blame me. But God is saying, no, 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 I am so perfect that I expect you to be perfect and you follow these laws all the way. And even if you break something and you had no idea that you did it, you're still guilty. 
That doesn't seem fair to us, but God is so pure and so righteous that that's what he requires. He requires a sacrifice, even when we didn't know we broke anything. So we have these two things, faith credited as righteousness, but this requirement for a sacrifice for all the sins, even the ones we didn't know he committed. And this is where God's provision is so beautiful that Jesus himself paid that price. He himself paid that price so that the burden of all of that is not on us anymore. And our faith is credited to us as righteousness. It's really beautiful. It makes me much more thankful. So much more thankful. Now, I've talked about transitions, people going through transitions. There's a time when Jesus says, I'm going and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I want to come back and take you there. And I think it's Thomas that says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. And those of you who are going through transitions and you don't know exactly where you're going to end up or you don't really know the path that it's going to take, I'm going to tell you, you already know the way because the Lord himself is the way. There's a mystery there. You can be saying, I don't know how my life is going to unfold, but you actually do know the path already. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know the way. He is the way. Jesus said, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit, eternal fruit. But if you don't abide in me, you can't do anything. Isn't that quite a statement from a carpenter from Galilee? Bob, I think it was a couple of years ago I said, can anything good come from Mainer? <laughs> Thinking about a you know, mechanic in Mainer who starts saying these kinds of things. So here is this carpenter from Galilee who's saying, you must abide in me. I'm going to abide in you. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Which is remarkable because it seems like human beings do a lot of things that seem to have meaning. But to God, they're really nothing. Every one of us, at some point, our spirit is going to slip out of our bodies and we're going to have to let go of everything. Everything that we've ever done here on this earth that's not of the Lord, it's nothing. So I want to open it up for just a second here and ask you a question. Can you tell me some of the promises of God? Everlasting life. One of the promises of God is everlasting life. Amen. What else? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Amen. That's a promise of God. You remember Abram did not put his faith in a belief system. He put his faith in a living God. He put his faith in the promises and the character of God. Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Doesn't matter whether I believe that or not. It's true if I'll abide in him, if I'll believe him, if I'll have that faith that living faith. It's not a one-time faith. It's a living out of faithfulness, walking with God. It's walking with him. You lead and I'll follow. What are the other promises of God that come into your spirit as I ask that question? He said, if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. Okay, so eternal life is coming up. Again, if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. That was just before he raised Lazarus from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. If you live and believe in me, you'll never die. Do you believe this? Wow. 
Her brother Lazarus is rotting in the grave. He's been in there four days. They said, don't take away that stone. It is going to smell. In that part of the world with no embalming, it's hot. They were just thinking, oh, this is going to be horrible. And what does Jesus say? Lazarus, come out. Wow. Amen. What are other promises of God? Amen. The coming and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Again, that is that promise of the new covenant that was made by Jeremiah the prophet and by Ezekiel. God said, I'm going to do it. And then when Jesus arrived, he said, this is it. We're here. When he appeared to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead, he said, I want you to wait until you receive what's been promised to you. You wait until this power has come on you. And then that's what happened on Pentecost. And that's his promise to us as well. Actually, I'll take a second here. The Apostle Paul talks about the different gifts that God gives his people. Uh, meeting the needs of others, showing mercy, having faith, and, some, and lots of other gifts as manifestations of the Spirit. And God's will for us under the new covenant is that we abide in him and then we have his spirit and that spirit manifests itself in some physical ways in this world. Manifestations of the spirit could be feeding the homeless. It could be praying for people. It could be having a prophetic word or speaking in some language you don't know. Just all of these different things are manifestations of the life flow of God that's within his people and he wants it to come out for the benefit of everyone around us. Amen. That's the promise of the spirit. And that, and we look at Jesus and we see it perfectly that he constantly perfectly manifested the spirit of God, just always right on the money. His teaching was perfect. What else? What other promises do we have? I was thinking about this. Jesus said, Go into your secret place and pray to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I think it's along that theme there. If you really, really want to have an experience of the Lord and know him, then go into a quiet place and you just start seeking him. And he promises that he'll reward you. Yeah. Amen. Okay, I think we're hearing a theme here, right? Eternal life. When does eternal life begin? Yeah, we cross over from death to life now. Jesus said there are people here who will never taste death. Isn't that something? Well, we knew that all of their bodies stopped functioning, which is what we would call death, but they didn't taste it. Eternal life is the relationship with Jesus Christ. And knowing him, yeah, this, this is, is eternal, eternal life. life. Knowing the Amen. Knowing him is eternal life. It's perfect imagery of abiding in the vine. Jesus doesn't use the imagery of being welded, two pieces of metal welded together. He uses the imagery of a a branch abiding in the vine, and there's a flow of life. And then that life necessarily, automatically brings fruitfulness. That's the imagery. Another image is a spring of living water that wells up and flows out of his people. Amen. That is life. Yeah, I came to give you life, and I gave, come to give you abundant life, or some translations, life to the full. I'll do a little <laughs> commentary. 
so much of American culture and world culture, I guess, is people trying to feel like they have an abundant life. So much of the entertainment that people are drawing into themselves, so many things that they're involved in, you people really want to feel like they're actively involved in something that's real and meaningful. So you can go to a movie and be touched by the swelling music and all of that. And, but then we go out and life continues on. But there's a real deep desire in human beings to really get involved in things that matter. And that's what God promises in Jesus. That's the promise. Many of us here can testify. We start walking with the Lord and suddenly life gets rich and full. And it's not always fun, but boy, it's like meaningful. It's, you know, it's like deep. Okay, other promises? God's word never comes back void. Yeah, God's word does not come back void. God's word has its effect. It's living and it's active. Amen. What else? Yeah, you know, actually, amen. Good. I was uh, thinking about mentioning this. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, peace. I leave with you, my peace I give you, but it's not like the world gives it. I give you my peace. So if you're burdened and weary and heavy laden, the religious spirit says, man, I got to get better so I can go to Jesus and then he'll like me. So I'll act like I'm not burdened or weary. But he's saying, no, you come to me that way and then the burdens will be lifted and then you'll be able to walk right. Boy, the religious spirit is, if I just do a little better, then I can get closer to God and maybe he'll accept me. And Christianity is, we go to God and then he makes us righteous. He does his work. He starts doing that work in us. So don't stand off and think, you know, oh, if I was just better or whatever. He's like, no, you come to me if you're heavy burdened, if you're weary, if you're sad, if you have no peace, you come to me. Amen. So let me just finish up. I say finish up. It may take a few more minutes here. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, there are three conditions. First, I'll start off by saying Jesus said, if. That implies a choice. And we see when he walked on the earth, a lot of people chose not to follow him. He would say things that were hard teaching or hard to understand or make demands that they just couldn't see themselves needing. Like the rich young ruler, Jesus said, you know, there's one thing you lack. You need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And that was exactly what that young man needed to hear. And he went away pretty sad because he had a lot, of, a lot of stuff. But the call of Jesus is exclusive. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three conditions to walking with Jesus. Self-denial is the exact opposite of Western culture, which is hedonistic. Hedonism is self-gratification, finding self-pleasure, avoiding pain, like avoiding pain is actually a good for for hedonists. What's that? Looking out for number one, one, but meaning I'm number one instead of looking out for number one. But Jesus said, the first thing you got to do, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself. You got to put yourself aside. And I will say, and many of you probably would agree, the times when I really feel like I'm uh, the strongest in the spirit is when I'm just completely unaware of myself. 
just in a situation so that self is, is just not a consideration at all. First thing is deny self. Second is take up your cross. Now, let's take a second and think about what the initial hearers of that statement would have thought. If I were to say to you, anyone who wants to follow me must take up his electric chair. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to take up your noose. Isn't that a shock? Especially to those people before he had been raised from the dead, before there was all this understanding of what that cross means. He said, you need to take up your electric chair and follow me. Goodness. It's not just denying self, it's dying. And of course, the cross was not a quick death. It could take days and it was humiliating. He didn't say you've got to be willing to take up your cross. He said you have to take up your cross. Now, that means many different things to many different people, and there have been a lot of teachings about what it means, but that's one of the conditions for us to follow him is not only denying ourselves, but self-surrender, dying to ourself. And then this last condition is to follow, which is what we were singing about, really how we started. Not just hanging on a cross dead. That's just the beginning of that. Then to walk with him, to follow him, abide in him. What a rabbi is, is a teacher. He's a, he's a teacher. And you sit at the teacher's feet and you learn what the teacher says and you live life with the teacher. Anyone who would come after Jesus has got to follow him. It's movement. It's not stagnant. So that brings me all the way back. I guess I will wrap up with this. I started talking about transitions. A transition uh, necessitates movement, change. As much as we want to be settled and happy in our little nest, walking with God is, is movement through time, abiding in Him, living by the Spirit. He doesn't call us to do anything that He won't give us the power to do. And we can do so much out of our own power, but He wants us to rest in Him, abide in Him, and then just let His life bear whatever fruit it's going to bear. We just need to cling to him, hold him. So, amen. Let me close with a prayer then. Lord, please give us ears to hear. God, give us hearts to abide. Lord, help us to uh, deny ourselves and understand better and better what it is to take up our cross every day and what it means to follow you. Amen. To be pilgrims passing through this world, not, not settlers who put down stakes, but God, you've called us to be a blessing wherever we go as we pass through. Lord, I pray for, pray for this congregation that you would uh, pour out your spirit more and more in whatever way. It will bring life and fruitfulness. Amen. God, Austin needs people who will die to themselves and allow the life of Christ to flow through them. That's what, that's what we all need. So Lord, help us all to be that. God, please, by your spirit in that new covenant, help us. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. He is our Messiah. He's the Holy One. He's the King of kings, and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.